I'm Nikki. And I'm Kirtana. And you're listening to The Chat Room. Beat drop. I can't beatbox. I'm the worst beatboxer. Yeah, you really can't. That was horrifying. I beatbox the way a third grader learns how to beatbox. Is it, is it, wait, 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 wait. Is it beatbox or is it beepbox? It's beatbox. With like, a T. Like, T as in Tommy. T as in Tommy because it's like you're boxing the beat. Oh, I see what you're saying. Why would it be beepbox? Then it would be like you're beeping. Beep, beep, beep. Like that would be beep. Well, it's like a beep. Yeah, it's like a different tone of a beep. It's like a different frequency of a beep. What are you talking about? <laughs> I just think that there is some flexibility in how you say this. And we shouldn't be so rigid. You know what? You've convinced me. It's beepbox. <laughs> anyway, I, I beepbox the way that a third grader learns how to beepbox. You know how like when you first learn how to beatbox, they tell you say boots and cats? I, I'm sorry. I think I was sick on beatboxing 101 day in third grade. <laughs> you know, the Pennsylvania school system really has failed. They're you. really slacking on the beatboxing they education. Really, really failed you. You know, like, but, so people, when they teach you how to beatbox, they say, say boots and cats, but like, like, say, like, boots and cats and boots and cats, right? Oh my but, gosh, my mind is blown. <laughs> yeah, but oh my God, that's. <laughs> I'm shook. Hold on. I need to take this in for one moment. But yeah, you're supposed to say boots and cats, but then I've never been able to transition that into proper beatboxing. That's what else all... do you need to do? What else do you, you know, need like to do? Like all the like that? cool shit that people do where they're like, wicka, wicka, wicka. Like I can't do any of oh it. Oh my Lord. Do not ever do that again. <laughs> I told you this is the problem. This is wicka, the wicka, issue. wicka. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. It's time to get serious. Time to get serious. Uh, today we're really excited because we're getting a double dose of Mirror Royal Detective. Our guests are Jimmy Shaw and Vidya Iyer, and we were so excited to talk to them, not only because they're both staff writers on season two of Disney Junior's Mirror Royal Detective, but because they had vastly different paths to get there. Jimmy is a comedian, writer, and director. Her work can be seen on Freeform, BET Networks, Fuse, IFC, Al Jazeera America, and Nick Jr. Vizia is also a comedian and writer who most recently served as a creative consultant on the upcoming J.J. Abrams Apple TV show Starling. She was also selected for the Cape New Writers Fellowship. So basically it has been a trip, to say the least, for these ladies to get to where they are right now. What I love the most about this conversation is how honest they were about their families' reactions to their chosen careers and how years later they've matured to rationalize with those reactions. And they certainly were not shy to talk about any random topic that might have come up. Nope, not at all. <laughs> not at all. We hope you guys enjoy this episode, and that listening to their stories will be a sense of comfort for any aspiring writers that might be tuning in. Check it out. No one can see this right now, but we are all on FaceTime while we're talking to each other. And Vidya is literally, literally laying down in her bed. In my boyfriend's Just looking up at, 
oh in her boyfriend's bed looking up at us <laughs> do we do we have to bleep out the boyfriend part for Amma Iyer or are we good here she knows I have a boyfriend I don't love the bed part but <laughs> I don't remember a very uncomfortable conversation when I was I think maybe like 13 or something and she found like my brother's texts or something and she asked me what are boobs <laughs> and I was like, oh my god Kirsten and I recently watched Boom 2. So that scene with Aishwarya Rai and uh, Hrithik Roshan when they kiss, when that movie mm. came out, I thought that's what having sex was. Oh, it's like, yeah. like, like just kissing. And so when I saw that, I was so moved by Aishwarya Rai that she's so passionate about her career that she would put that on the line to oh be in God. Boom 2. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, have you um, learned- and then I had health class. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen it in like years and years, but I remember watching it on DVD and being like, oh, this is probably how I need to learn how to do this. Oh my God, DVDs. <laughs> yes, back in the day. The another uh, era. This is the segment of the, this is the portion of the uh, podcast I like to call "Let's Talk About How Young Nikki Is" because she is marvel marveling <laughs> at <laughs> the fact that we just said DVD <laughs> while <laughs> the rest of us are like, "Oh, <laughs> DVD is like my uh, what, what's what is that called? Uh, what's the that, that no the, v, the VCR. What do you, what do you put in the VCRs? It's a lot of acronyms oh to remember. No, it's really not. The fact that you just said VTR. The fact that you just said VTR. Oh my god. Guys, what are we I'm, doing here? Engineering is hard, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Let's now get into the bulk of this. I really want to thank you guys again for being on. I really want to run through, you know, both your careers and your path up until now because you both have have had different trajectories up until this point, but now you're both staff writers on Disney Junior's Mira Royal Detective, which is, is such a historic show in its existence. And, and I'm also curious, you know, what's your what was your impetus for even getting into Hollywood? Uh, Vidya, let's start with you. My brother had a bunch of these DVDs that he burned of, like, all these American sitcoms. And then I just watched all of it in a very short amount of time. And then I was obsessed. And I was like, I want to write jokes and sitcoms. And that was the dream. I did do the engineering thing and it was always like I always wrote I wrote like I used to write articles for like magazines and newspapers and I used to write a lot of like short form like fiction. I just started writing it because I was bored in class and I went to like a really nerdy girls school and the teacher was talking about something and I was like I don't give a shit. So I started writing a story and the girl sitting next to me, because we sat in the, my school, we sat in these benches where two of us would sit next to each other. And my, my bench mate read my story and she was like, so what happens next? And then I was like, okay, I have to write another chapter because she needs to know what happens. So I started just writing an entire, like, I wrote like eight chapters of this novel, essentially just because four of my friends kept bugging me being like, so then what happened? So I think that's kind of where it really started. I went to college for engineering, studied computer engineering and graduated. And then I realized I still wanted to be a TV writer. And I was like, well, I haven't really looked into this or tried to figure out how to do it. 
but it's clearly something that 10 years later I still kind of want to do. So I was like, let me try and figure it out. And I applied to film school without telling my family I got in, and then I had to tell my family, which was very awkward. But you know what? It worked out, and I'm here, and I'm doing the thing. Now I have a niece, like my brother's uh, daughter, and they're like, well, we need to make sure she goes to IIT at least. Oh no. <laughs> the cycle is supposed to end with you. I, I have my fingers crossed that she's going to be like, I want to be a fashion designer. So that's where like I'm hoping this is going to go. To some extent, I mean, yes, it's like such a brown culture thing. But to some extent, I'm also like, I get it. Like, I feel like it's just the discomfort of not knowing what it is. And I think with my parents, and I think maybe it's true for a lot of brown parents, it's like they work so hard and especially immigrant parents, like they're just so... we. They want to set you up for success in a in a very specific way. And I think not knowing how to help you in this space makes them very uncertain. I sent this text message to our uh, showrunner and my mom sent me a WhatsApp message being like, nice program, very well done. And I was like, that is the highest compliment <laughs> you're going to get from my mother <laughs> <ever>. <laughs> Jimmy, did you have a similar experience with your family? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think, uh, you know, definitely was like, I always sort of blame my parents for like, this is why this is why I'm in this field. Because we used to watch Bollywood movies, like pretty much nonstop every single night, like every single night, we would sit down for dinner, quickly finish dinner, and then like watch a Bollywood movie. And then I'd be up so late having watched this like three hour extravaganza, but this was like a nightly routine. So for me, like I wanted to make Bollywood movies. Like this was my dream was to like make, you know, a Shah Rukh Khan like movie. Like this is what I wanted to do. So I applied to film school and I think my parents thought it was like, or at least not my parents, more my dad. It's my dad that has like the worry about it or had the biggest worry about it. But I applied to film school. I don't remember now if I even told him that I applied or if I just did it on the low and then I got in and of course like I get in and my dad is like at the mailbox and he's the one that opens the envelope and he's like what is this and I'm like oh I applied to film school like this is what happened and it was such a like it was an ordeal for me to like get you know to be allowed to go to move to New York I was also 17. I'm picturing your dad open the envelope and you know like in Indian soaps where they have these shots where it's the guy like turning his head like da 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 and it's yeah. like yeah totally a hundred percent and also like NYU is so expensive and it was just like all of these things all at once it just felt like such a pipe dream but I don't know if I was just like naive or just young right like I was just like oh it'll be this is great like this is the best thing that's ever happened to me like I totally have to go to film school and I remember that whole like semester of of high school was just such a like it was so stressful because I I knew that this is what I wanted to do I love New York I you know had always been telling stories I I love being creative I love doing all these things and he was just so not about it and I don't think even in, like throughout college like he was really he was really happy about it and then post college like things really changed I thought when I graduated film school that I was like where um where are all the millions of dollars that you're gonna give me to make my opus my Bollywood movie. Uh, and <laughs> as we know, that's not how this works. 
so I had to move back home because there were so few jobs and you know, living in New York is expensive. And so I moved back home and I was working retail and I was working for a nonprofit. I had like all these jobs. So I knew that I wanted to sort of move back to New York and I was just saving money. And he would like, he would be like, is it time to think about law school? He'd be like, oh, I think you'd make a really good lawyer. You love to argue. Like he would just like try to like convince me that this is the thing I wanted to do. And I think I remember one, one day like being asleep and like, like probably like till 10 or 11, which is like not okay for him. And I remember him putting like an LSAT book, like on my body, like as I go, like, <laughs> as he's like leaving for whatever. And I was just like, I can't, but I like, no, like I had gotten this, like, you know, I lived in New York for four years. I'd been immersed into this like world of film and TV. I was like, there's no way I'm just like giving up on this yet, you know? And yeah, I would like fly to New York. I wanted to get like any job in entertainment that I could. Um, and so I'd fly to New York or I'd like would do whatever I needed to, to do an interview. Like on a Monday, I would lie, like lie through like my teeth for like at my retail jobs or whatever I needed to do. I would lie on my resume and put like a New York address on it. Like I was just like, whatever I needed to do to be back in New York in this space that I really like love. And I just knew this is like, like, this is where I needed to be kind of thing. Eventually I got a job at BET and I started working as a promo producer. So like, that means like I worked in marketing, I was making, you know, like, ads for uh like tv shows right like the things that we see like on the next episode like that kind of thing and I think that's when it like clicked for him like he was like oh you can get money you can get paid for this because my dad is an accountant and like like money is like the bottom line for him right and so like being able to see like oh I can actually like have a job be creative and like make money like I think things started to change for him a little bit so yeah, so I like and I did that for like five years and he got some like really great perks out of it too. Like <laughs> I took him to the hip hop awards. <laughs> oh my god, brown dads, brown dads love hip hop. Working at that at BET like helped me at the same time, like I had always been a drama person, but I knew that I was like funny just because like I'm an Indian girl named Jimmy and I'm five feet tall. Like there's no way that like I don't use humor as like a defense mechanism all the time, right? <laughs> like it's just not gonna happen. So like I knew that I had been funny, so I working at BET. I was like, they assigned me this show to work on called Real Husbands of Hollywood, which is like this like mock reality show. It stars Kevin Hart and in a sort of like a, you know, Housewives of Atlanta kind of show, but like the, the mock version of it. So they would send me to LA, like through this job, they would send me to LA and we'd be there for like a few days and I would just like write jokes as promos, right? So I'd have a setup and a punchline and then it would be like, watch Real Husbands of Hollywood Sunday at 10 or whatever the time was. And I would shoot with Kevin Hart. I would shoot with JB Smooth. I would shoot with all these like really amazing comedians. And I just like started to learn how to write jokes from this. And I was like, oh, I was like, I think I'm funny. Like, I think I could actually like do this. Um, and so I started doing stand up at the same time. And I was like, oh, this is actually where my voice is. So one day I got up in the morning and like was like, I'm going to quit my job today. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to have any backup plan. I have no idea what I'm going to do, but I'm going to, I'm just going to quit today. And I remember quitting and I remember telling my boss that I was going to plan on moving to LA to be a comedian. And he just looked at me like I was insane. And then I told my dad and my dad didn't speak to me for a very long time after that. I was going to say, and then your dad murdered you in your sleep <laughs> with an LSAT book. 
like, he was just like, I, he was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to figure it out, I guess. And then that just like set into motion all these risky things that I've done in my career where I've just been like, I'm going to LA now. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to quit this job. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, just like this, like, cause I've had like a really circuitous path to like get here. And, but now he just like, but like, I think it was like going to NYU and then quitting that first job, I think really just like helped him understand that like, like I, there's no amount of like me being unhappy with what Jimmy's doing is going to stop her from like doing the thing. So now he just is like, okay, great. Sounds good. Like he's just, okay. Like I've broken him, I think, <laughs> which is, I think the, the story, the, the moral of the story, like break your parents to like go do the thing that you want to do. <laughs> well, and that's the funny part because I feel like all immigrant parents, you know, they obviously raise us on this foundation of resilience, right? You never half ass anything. If, you're going to do something, it better be the, you know, freaking best thing that you've ever done in your life. And so when we all go after these careers and we go after it full force, they're like, why can't this be your side, your side thing? Why can't this be the backup plan? And I'm sitting here like, I was never taught how to do something as a backup plan. Like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it the best. That's why persistence is in our genes, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, the idea, the idea is, and Jimmy, you, you bring up something that I think we all kind of go through. There's a lot of just chipping away yeah. that happens. Yeah. And that's 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 the story of our freaking lives is just chip away. Just chip away. Just chip away. You just kind of have to do what you, what you need to do. Like I think like financial independence is super important. I think like I obviously wasn't like living at home. I feel like in our culture we're really about like asking permission from our parents. And I'm always like, I'm not asking you for permission. I'm telling you. And I think like when I made that shift of thinking, like that really changed the game for me and my parents, at least. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to be 50 and asking my mom permission to like go on a road trip or take a trip. And she'll <laughs> still say no. And I still won't go. <laughs> I think actually Jimmy and I had like a long conversation about that exact thing because it was it was that shift of like knowing that you could just do a thing and not have to ask. Because even when I first moved here, I was like, I remember going to San Francisco to like hang out with a friend. And then my mom found out that I had gone and I obviously didn't tell her. And then it was like a whole thing. And I remember maybe like two years later being in Chicago and my mom calls me and she's like, well, what do you have to? I was like, I'm in Chicago. And she's like, you didn't tell me you were going to Chicago. I'm like, I'm telling you now. And it was like that shift in like less than two years. It was, like, it, it was like, it wasn't a big yelling match. It wasn't this weird thing. And I remember that was like maybe two years before that the San Francisco thing had turned. Like that was a two week long, just like drama saga of like, you went to San Francisco without my permission. Like my dad started a business at like 40 something years old because him trying to hold down a job was getting like harder and harder people like he'd work for a company and the company would go down or he'd work for a company and like they would like lay lay people off like it was just like one thing after another and he had been sort of like side hustle like my dad's an accountant he'd been sort of like side hustle working on like you know doing tax returns for people on the side just to kind of keep things going and I think he always wanted to start a business and at 40 he 40 something like he was finally just like I'm gonna go do this thing and then like became this like entrepreneur at 40 and I'm like well where do you think like this comes from like this idea of like I'm just gonna go do this thing now because like I think this is now is the time or like I want to do this thing like starting a business isn't an easy isn't easy isn't an easy thing and my mom 
you know, got married to my dad, moved to America and like had this like whole like shift in culture and life very young. And so it's like, where do you think that comes from? Right? Like being okay with change, being able Mm -hmm. to be resilient, being able to like, you know, kind of take whatever comes, right? Like, it's like, we're like shifting as as needed. Like, where do you think all that comes from? Like that comes from you guys, right? Like you're, you've inspired me to like, be okay with like whatever comes my way and seize an opportunity when it's the time. So I think like that's a disconnect that like, you know, we're not like, it's like we want, like our parents do what we, what they do because they want us to be okay. And they think this like the safer route is the way to go. But like they have gone through so much, at least like I, you know, the generation that I'm from and, and like my parents' generation, like they've gone through so much to like be on their two feet. Like it's the same thing, right? It's like, we're just, you know, And it's almost like we wouldn't be doing them justice, justifying why they've made all these sacrifices if we kind of just slid into the same cycle. You know, I always used to tell my parents, well, then who gets to enjoy their life? Like if I'm supposed to be, you know, doing this steady career and do the right thing, does now my kid have to do this steady career and do the right? Like who gets to actually follow their dreams and then take advantage of stuff? Right. No, that's it. That's 100% it. It is interesting, though, I will say, like, with my parents, they, they've they taken so many risks. And my dad has always, like, like what Jimmy said, too, like, my dad is the one who made me love stories. He used to tell me stories every night, and he would tell me detective stories, all, like, all of the Sherlock Holmes stories. And he told me this entire series called Tupuriam Sambu, which is, like, he read it in Tamil, it's written in Tamil, but he told me all the stories in English. And he's, like, so good at it. And he would tell me in episodic form. And then I was like, it's your fault I love telling stories. <laughs> like, this, is, this comes from you. And then he's like, yeah, I kind of regret that. I'm not sure I should have done that. Um, I mean, he's joking. But he's also like, oh, this should be your side hustle. We are good at this. But this is not your main thing. This should be a side hustle. But he's also like, I want you to take risks. I want you to... You have a platform to be safe if you fail. Go take big risks and fail big. But then when I'm like, oh, I want to take this risk and move across the country and take my shot and be a TV writer, he's like, that's not the kind of risk I was talking about. I was talking about maybe starting like something in Silicon Valley. <laughs> I'm like, but that's not what I want to do though. But that's a bigger risk to me, you know, like starting yeah, a yeah. like starting a business or like going to Silicon Valley and like trying to like you know go into like being a VC you know like all that stuff is so much more risky than like like I just like I've managed to like make a career out of like being creative and do all you know do some really great stuff and like have always sort of been on like the up and up sort of right have managed to like figure out how to make it work it doesn't always work that way and I think that is like a privilege for sure but like you know it's like there there are riskier things to do and I think like people don't understand I think that's like such a disconnect in like our parents understanding of like what it is that we do like I think that was always my that was the thing with my dad right is that you're gonna be broke like his thing is like you're gonna be broke if you go do this thing because being an artist is like the starving artist thing is so real for them I think um and I think we yeah and I think we've like I think a, a generation of people have figured out like you don't have to be a starving artist. Like that's not, mm-hmm. you know, there are many ways to get to where you want to go. Like there are many paths to this thing. And I think Vidya and I are a perfect example of that. Like Vidya's path is so different from mine. Um, yeah. And we're still at the same place, right? It is riskier. It is so much riskier in its own way of like going to Silicon Valley or starting something. But I think what I have understood about 
my parents specifically at least is just like they're extremely ambitious and they've always wanted obviously like they just were like you have to be the best at what you're doing and but for them they also want to help me and set me up for success in that space and I think with Hollywood and with writing and with TV it's not a space that they understand or know how they can help me so they feel even less in control and I think that's where a lot of issues like come from well well now you guys are in something that I mean Disney Mira Royal Detective first of all besides having the most catchiest theme song in the world I mean if you listen to that (laughs) shit in the morning you are like screwed for the entire day there's no way you're gonna be able to concentrate on anything else um, but I, what I find so funny about, especially you two in particular being on that show, is because even Jimmy, you're talking about how you worked for Kevin Hart and, and Vidya, you have, I mean, the most amazing crude sense of humor sometimes I've ever heard. <laughs> like, how are you two Thank writing you. TV for children? Like, what is the challenge, you know, for you two and what are the pressures in writing a show that's, you know, ultimately like no pressure or anything, but you're influencing the next generation of, you know, humans? I think the sh- I think the show like I can only speak for myself. I think like writing for kids TV because I before I got this job before I was like writing for the show I was actually working for Disney Disney Channel as a another as another form of like a promo producer and so like talking to kids marketing the kids like as a thing that like I was sort of learning um, before I pivoted and. For me, it's like what's so great about writing for something that's like because it's not just for kids, right? It's like writing for like the moms and dads who are watching the kid, the you know, the shows with the kids, right? You have to keep everybody engaged, like ideally. Um, I think what I really love about it in terms of like comedy is that it has to be like the sharpest, broadest thing. Like it's such a cha- it is a challenge, but it's also like a challenge that I love to like meet every single day, right? Because you're just it's like feels like the purest form of comedy, right? It's right. like not it's not heady. It's not cerebral. You don't have, you can't lean on swear words and, and yeah. you know, that kind of tone. Yeah. Like it's, you re- like, you really have to be funny, but there's no, <laughs> there's no other way around it. Right. It's like, you, it's a, it's a constant test for that. So I think like, you know, the, the, the best part for me about the job in any capacity of like being a comedian, like doing stand up, getting up and doing my own thing or writing when I was doing all these, um, all the stuff that I was doing as like, a promo producer or even the stuff I did for like digital media like anywhere you go it's like just finding your voice within a voice right and so you know like do I get up on stage and ha- is my sense of humor the same as the is it, as it is in Mira no of course not right there's it's a lot more vulgar and crude but the essence of like trying to make somebody laugh is the same and I think it's just like that's how I go into it at least um I think a lot of what you said is just on point it is the simplest form of humor and I think I have found it just so exciting because it's like it's a fun challenge I'm like oh and I'm the kind of person I'm like I need to keep doing different things and keep switching gears and this was just like such a fun pivot because I love cartoons and growing up like I watched because my my mom's a doctor my dad was like working like and my school in Nigeria let out at 1 p.m. So between one and six, I watched. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. School <laughs> is over at 1 p.m.? Yeah, it was lit. Why are we all living here? <laughs> Even when I examine the things that 
day in and day out actually make me feel like laugh out loud it's stuff like when someone keeps singing something silly or just something physical that's funny like for me kids tv has helped me really like lean into physical comedy because especially we do animation there's just yeah. so much visual goofy shit that we can do you fall like you know someone scratches the other person's nose like you know or if so, like we have these two adorable mongooses on the show and when they just like chase each other's tails or think that take something that is super silly and make it turn it into a conspiracy theory. So what you're saying is that kids like really violent things. They have a very <laughs> violent sense of humor. I mean, kids do, uh, just off of their knees. But I do think it's it's also just like being super, like, I, I am kind of a giant kid about this stuff. Like, I love just, even when, uh, like when you're at UCB and I see like improv and stuff like that, or when I do improv, like I think the things that are funniest to me are really just over the top physical things. Cause yeah. those are very memorable. And I think in the world of animation, there's something so much more exciting about playing around with that. And I like to like lean into that. So that's been like challenging, but also exciting. Cause it's like, I'm a person who loves writing jokes and loves writing dialogue. And in the world of kids TV and in the world of Mira especially, it's been fun to kind of be like, well, what is the funniest joke that I can do with as little words as possible? Because with with our show, there's also like, how much would kids understand this word? Will they able to be able to comprehend what this object is and all of that? So the for me, the exciting and most challenging thing has just been to like, what is the best way to do this visually? without with as little like dialogue as possible what do you hope then that adults also take away from the show because I think it's interesting how you guys are channeling into this broader sense of humor to appeal to kids but also that same sense of humor ultimately appeals to adults too 100% I'm trying to think I feel like there's a lot of kids shows that like I've watched with my niece and when I think about what adults would take away from the show I honestly it's it's like the writing is awesome because obviously we're on it but also I think <laughs> the, the songs are so fun on the show and like that is writing through like Matt and Jeannie who write the songs for the show who's like such a fantastic job and they're so catchy and our music team like Amrit Alvaz, who does like composing and all of that. I feel like the adults, honestly, just based off of all the conversations I've had with my friends who've seen the show, who are all like, you know, our age, or, and they're all like obsessed with the songs more than anything. Oh my god, I start, I start every run with the theme song. There's like a whole Spotify album. I'm obsessed with the Pinky and the Goat song. I think with for the adults, it's just gonna be like if you're not South Asian, kind of learning about South Asian culture and kind of leaning into all the food and kind of being able to enjoy your kid putting things together. Because the great thing about a show, the show is like, you're, it is a mystery. It's such a simple mystery. And like Jimmy said, the hardest thing is to kind of boil something complex and make it so simple and palatable, simple enough that you can be like, oh, it is obvious, but you're still going on a journey. And once you get there, it's like, oh, we can put this together ourselves and take you on that ride with us. 
and I think there's the animals or something a lot of the adults at Spoken to enjoy on the show, which is just like <laughs> riding all the different animals and the like um sets of the show, just the world of it and the characters, like just knowing how well I think the show has represented the diversity and the fact that like Indian culture and South Asian culture is not a monolith. Like there is so much diversity within the show. Where did the soggy samosas come from? It's honestly, it's the cutest. It's the cutest phrase. Vidya, do you know? I was going to say, I'm not entirely sure. I want to say maybe it's like Becca came up maybe. with it. Or yeah. like, it's a, one of the like staff writers on season one. So I'm not entirely Oh my gosh. I, I am so here for a white person having coming up, coming up with the <laughs> phrase soggy samosas. That's the perfect answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know like, though. It may have been one of the uh, there was a, there were there were other South Asian writers. Um, no, Jimmy, Jimmy, were... <laughs> don't take this away from me. Don't <laughs> take this away from me. Hey, samosas, samosas are universal. Yes, yeah. I could be true. I'm not <laughs> sure. I yeah, we'll give it up for like the season one writers for coming up with something so catchy and amazing. It's so good. Like my boyfriend literally said soggy samosas this morning. I don't know what it was for. It's so easy. So simple. So so real. No yeah. one likes a soggy samosa. No. What I really love about the show <laughs> is that Ladoos are getting their international like claim now. Like they <laughs> well deserved. Indian sweets in general, dude. That just like in that that first episode with the Indian sweets uh, tray, yeah. I, I was like, I was like, all right, Pushpa, I'm I'm here for you with the barfi and the hell yeah. I see you, Pushpa. I think my favorite part of the show is that everyone says people's names properly like when yeah. Mira's like Chaudhry auntie I was like what the heck what did she just say like <laughs> yeah yeah I think that's like the beauty of the show and I think like the you know the creators the the season one like all of us just like continuing on to like really just wanting to make something that feels organic and authentic in that way right like mm-hmm. I that's what I think for me like I'm so excited about writing on the show and then seeing is like our like Pushpa, Chaudhryanti, like kids are going to be saying those things or kids are going to be talking about those things or interested in what Chaudhryanti's up to because <laughs> I'm interested you know, in what Chaudhryanti is Do you know what I mean? Do. Like this is not like growing up, like, you know, obviously we've talked so much about having to like anglicize our names and like do whatever. And now we're seeing something on a major platform. Like that's not the case, right? There's no one making, having to make that concession. I think that's like super, super cool. We'll see also, like, it does make me happy that they're like calling each other auntie and stuff like that. I still like, it makes me so deeply uncomfortable to call someone who's older than me and not call them like auntie or something. I feel like I'm in the minority here because I definitely don't want to be called Jimmy auntie. Like, that's not a thing I'm interested in. So, auntie Shaw. Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, you're also not at the age where anyone should be calling you not, auntie. Not Come back, come back to me. Can we have a separate segment about that? Because I realized that I've transitioned, like, like, it's not on you to decide whether you're an auntie. It's the kids who decide whether you're an yeah. auntie. Oh, yes, yes. I, I have phased out of, like, you know, Jimmy Bain. Like, I've, I've phased out of that. I am definitely, like, at, very close to auntie age now. And I'm not looking forward to it, to being called Jimmy Auntie. Like, that's not a thing. Call me Jimmy. Or or I have my niece call me aunt in a different language, so it, it hits differently. And Masi just sounds so, like, elegant, like a princess. 
No, Mossy reminds me of like movies like Hum Up Gay yeah. when I was older, and they're like, yeah. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Nikki Mossy is like Queen Shanti, basically. Yes. <laughs> My niece calls me out there, which is aunt in, aunt in Tamil, which I don't mind. It's when they call me auntie in English, it really bothers me. Oh, yeah, it's stings, <laughs> yeah. man. You know, we've had you, we've kept you guys on for a while, but I want to bring it back full circle and, and kind of ask as two people who really, I, I mean, I, I think it's a common misconception people believe about Hollywood that if you've made it, it's because you immediately had help from a family member or a close friend. It, it's not true. At the end of the day, most of us have created the connections that, that got us that first job or got us that first, you know, gig in the industry. And I'm curious for to hear from you guys any actionable, you know, advice you have for young people who want to write for TV, but also, you know, write for animation. Because that, that I feel like that is also a very specific uh, group of kids. I will say, like, reaching out to people who have done the thing that you really want to do. And I think the first step is realizing what your specific path that you want to go along is. Like, finding your voice, like Jeremy said. And then finding people who have a voice in that same space that you do who've done what you want to do and either reading what they did or following you know their success or reaching out to people who are like a few years ahead of you in that path I think film school is very helpful in that respect but also just like going to all those events and there's so many opportunities to like meet people and um and get to know them a little bit better and for me specifically also like I applied to like all these fellowships that are available. Going down the fellowship path was very helpful for me. I've met so many wonderful peers who I think are the most helpful relationships you're ever going to make are the people at your level who are going to rise up with you and who are going to like keep you aware of what opportunities are around. I think that's a really good point that people forget is, you know, you think, especially when you want to be a writer, you know, I need to get contacted and network with the best writer there is, the best person doing what I'm doing. And, and you know, there is a place for that. And I encourage people to, you know, send the cold emails, reach out to people, because you'll be shocked by how many of these guys really do want to help mentor mm -hmm. this new class. But on the other side of the coin, it's like you said, your strongest network is going to be with people who are at your level and people who are ultimately just trying to achieve you know, the same goal as you. And I like for me, for an example, everyone I was an assistant with, you know, we're all slowly becoming execs together. And now I have someone working at everywhere in the industry that I can call. And normally I would think, oh, I just need to know the heads of all these places. No, you got to, you know, network almost from the ground up and build your network from the ground up. For me, like there are things when I when I think I was younger that I wish that someone had said to me, which was like, you know, being as close to the industry was really helpful. Like this is an actionable thing, right? Like being in LA definitely like changed my life. I think right. in terms of like being here um, or getting here, uh, I think also like knowing that your path is your path. And I think that's like, sounds like a little bit of like a platitude, but like really seriously, like I went to film school, wanted to do something. Like I wanted to make Bollywood movies. I wanted to make like dramas. I wanted to do this thing you know, it was my first job that wasn't a writing job in terms of like a TV writing, you know, like a staff writer on a TV show kind of job, but I was writing and I got to direct and I got to produce. And so I got to like, you know, scratch a lot of, you know, a lot of different types of, you know, itches that I had or whatever. Right. And so 
I got to do that. I got to, you know, I worked as a copywriter. I got to like, I made viral videos. I, I've done like a lot of different, you know, I wrote like a web series for like a, a digital studio. Like I, I've done a lot of different things. And like, I know when I walk into a room for like a general or a, even when I'm interviewing for like a writing job, like those are the things that actually people are more interested in, right? It's like, it's like, of right. course, you know, like they read your script. You're, a, you know, they like technical, being a technical writer, of course, is great, wonderful, know the things, obviously write a good script. Obviously we know that, right? But it's also just like, are you somebody that somebody wants to spend 14 hours in a room with or like, you know, talk, like really just break stuff with in a, in a room? Like, is this somebody that you really want to spend time with? And I think like knowing yourself is the best way to really like prove that, right? Like get good at interviewing, get good at like knowing what you want. And I think like when you, when you are in rooms where you're like asking someone to read you or you're asking someone for advice, like, what do you think I should do about X, Y, and Z? Know what X, Y, and Z is very specifically, right? I think like early on and yeah. I think we're early on, like after college or whatever, I would be like, I'm generally interested in this. How do you think you can help me? And it, that leaves a lot on the person that you're asking to figure out, even though they've only met you probably for like 30 or 40 minutes for like a coffee. And they're like, uh, but it's easier if you're like, hi, I'm Jimmy. I'm interested in this and I'm interested in this. This is the type of show that I love. And like, this is what I'm really curious about. And that can change as you grow older, as you move through the, as you navigate through like what you really love, but like know what you're really asking from people, I think is like my, is like a big thing. I think that's like an actionable piece of advice. That's a, that's a really good point you're making. I think people underestimate how much being in this industry is truly just watching and reading everything. If you feel like you want to write animation yeah. one day, you should be watching every freaking animated show that is out there. Why is it so good? I think people also don't realize that a lot of scripts are online. You know, yeah. your favorite your favorite TV shows, most pilots are online. So get those pilots, read them. What made them great? What made them suck? Like really just expanding your knowledge of what's even already been done just puts you leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else kind of just sitting around waiting for this to happen for them. Yeah, watching stuff like, you know, I think there are lots of people who, whether animation or not, right, like, maybe that's not what you set out to do, but it's sort of what you're doing, like being open to the opportunity as well. Like, you know, right. I think, um, you know, Mira is such a special show. And it's like, of course, I want to work on this, regardless of like, where I thought I was going to be or what I thought, you know what I mean? Like, of course, it aligns with like everything that I want. But if it didn't, like, I think that's a, like, like, that's an opportunity I would say yes to as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, don't pigeonhole yourself. The industry will do that for you guys. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, especially because you don't know what opportunity you'll get from the opportunity you didn't expect you would want. 100%. A hundred percent. You know, like I got this job at Mira because I was working at Disney Channel. I mean, I didn't, it's not like the sole reason that I got the job, but like the introduction was made because I was working at Disney Channel. I met the exec that was working on it, you know, and applied for a mentorship program where I got to meet the exec working on it. And then he helped introduce me to the creators. Like, it's like, these are all things that I, you know, like, you know, in comedy, there's that thing of like saying yes, right? Like, yes, and, and it's like literally that, right? It's fall. I hate when right, people say right, that and I can't right. believe I just said it. But like, <laughs> it's really that, right? It's like really just saying like, yeah, okay, let's see what happens, right? It's like, it just, mm-hmm. I think it's been the best thing for me, at least. But every three and a half months, approximately so far, I will just be like, what the fuck am I doing? I need to go back to med school at this point. Like, I do have that every three and a half months and it's I've just like decided it's a extended version of a period at this point 
I'm just like, oh, I'm getting PMS. <laughs> I'm going to have the bleeding. It's going to get over. Like, I've gotten to a point. But um, I think when that happened. At the end of the day, like, we all know we would have been incredibly shitty doctors. There's just no oh my question about Ugh. it. I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't school. have either. I was like, I was like, maybe a pharmacist. Like, maybe I could do that. But even then, <laughs> like, I don't know. No, no shade to pharmacy. Of course, Jason. Great. Of course. Yeah, I feel like I would be a good doctor. <laughs> like, I would have been a good researcher. Like, I love biology. I just don't want to touch human beings, man. Like, I don't want to examine your <laughs> stuff that's happening on you. They just provide such an important vital service. And I'm like, I got jokes. You got a joke? I got one for you. Like, that's it. <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, Laughter okay. is the best medicine. Uh, Jimmy. Yes. When are we going to be seeing a Bollywood movie <laughs> directed, written and directed by Jimmy Shaw? Oh, man. Starring Shah Rukh Khan, don't forget. Oh, my God. Starring Shah Rukh Khan. If it's starring Shah Rukh Khan, can you make him a villain? It's just more interesting yeah, that way. I'm, like, I'm hopping off the Shah Rukh Khan train, TBH. Here's a hot take. Here's a controversial take. I've never been on the Shah Rukh Khan. Yeah, that's just to... wrong. That's just <laughs> wrong. Yeah, that's just I, I don't know. Maybe in the I have ideas for volume movies all the time. Um, of course, Shah Rukh Khan is the one that's going to star in all of them. If he, <laughs> yeah. if he hears this, if he hears this, you know, reach out to my manager. We can talk. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would love to. I love Jimmy. Shot with Shah Rukh Khan. <laughs> like he has that eyebrow thing that he does, where he just looks at you, and I'm like, you see my soul. It's so. <laughs> Well, Jimmy, Vidya, thank you guys so much for joining us today. It's really been a blast to learn your unique stories and how hard you guys have worked and, and really the risks you've taken to get where you are today. Yeah, seriously. All episodes of Mirror Royal Detective Season 1 are streaming on Disney now, right now. Seriously, stop listening to this episode. Go watch the show right now. Yeah, go laugh a little. Go, go watch the show. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. The Chat Room is hosted by me, Nikita Manon, and me, Kirtan Sastry, in partnership with Brown Girl Magazine. Consulting producers are Pallavi Sastry and Nihar Sinha. All podcast artwork is created by Ashwarya Sukesh, and opening music is by Sridhar Bhamanipandi. Special thanks to Trisha Sukujawalia. Please subscribe to The Chat Room on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Thanks for tuning in.